What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Burndown. Today's guest, he's welcome back. He's the man with the plan inside the cigar industry. That's Josh Habersky, head of government relations for the PCA and deputy director executive. Is that the right, is that the right title? Damn, dang, he's got them titles, he's baby. Got the big, he's got the big dick titles. <laughs> well, Josh, welcome What's back on, to The Burndown. What's going on? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me back on. We're, we're really a good time for this. We've got a lot going on, government affairs, uh, some exciting stuff. Like I said, good, bad, and ugly. And uh, But we're, we're moving in and shaking here in D.C. Crazy. Yeah, we got, some, we got some stuff. So we actually had the idea because we were talking about some of the crazy uh, tax hikes in New York. There's a uh, a potential flavor cigar ban. There's like there's lots of stuff going on in the cigar industry. So Eric's like, "Yo, we got to get Josh back on. We got to talk this through. Talk this this out because he, if there's anybody that knows what's going on in the industry, it's this man right here." So, dude, what's up with 95 percent tax in New York? What's up with that? Oh, it, it's scary. You know, it's it's one of those things. Fortunately, the New York Tobacconists Association is very well fortified. They've been, you know, prepared for this. Uh, they're working to uh, get two positive bills uh, advanced, one on cigar bars and then one on a tax cap. So there's two positive bills, and then there's obviously the one that would hike the tax, which would be problematic, and they're fighting that. And we're providing kind of that air cover support. Mm. Uh, but, you know, they, they have a retained lobbyist. They've done communications. You know, if you go to most shops in New York, you should see at the point of sale, sign the petition. Um, you know, our, our link is cigaraction.org. I'll, I'll probably say that a couple times during the show. Uh, but, you know, go there, write to your elected officials. It automatically populates to, you know, who your state senator or your state house member is to let them know, hey, you know, stop stop taxes on my cigars or in the positive sense. Hey, allow people to have an adult beverage with a cigar. These are 21 and over establishments. It makes sense. Add a line of business and keep tax dollars local. That's the other argument there. You know, unfortunately, in New York, even if there's no tax increases, cigars are not as affordable in New York as there are in bordering states. Yeah. And people are just going to, to Pennsylvania to buy their cigars when they live in New York, stocking up. Or going to uh, Native American reservations and purchasing their cigars, we see that. Um, and the only, only people that really, you know, lose out when you have such astronomically high taxes are the citizens of the state of New York um, who don't get that revenue to support, you know, programs. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that's why one of the reasons why we chose um, our partner, Flying Cigar Co, out of Arizona to be our online distributor for the blueprints because. The tax in New York is ridiculous, and we had mentioned it before. It's you're only hurting these mom and pop shops, Mm -hmm. right? You're hurting the locals that they their you know blood, sweat, and tears have gone into opening up a cigar lounge, and now they got to pay these crazy taxes. And the people that are coming in to support those lounges, they're not going to come in anymore because they're like, well, I'm not going to spend twenty dollars on a stick that used to cost me ten. I'm just going to buy it online and sit at home. So these local lounges are the ones that are really going to hurt when it comes to these. And just and just to let it be known, I did go on the website and I did submit my uh, my yes. petition. I put I fulfilled I whatever pre filled everything and I said, screw the New York government for freaking taxing me ninety five percent. No way, no yeah, how. Yeah, you know, it, it's something simple. Takes thirty seconds, and and you're right. And with 
the brick and mortar lounges and shops, um, you know, you talk one of the concerns that people throughout government, federal, state, local, international, they're concerned about youth access to tobacco products. Well, what better way to have a face to face transaction where someone's getting, you know, has to show their identification, you know, incentivize people uh, that are adults that, you know, are willingly, um, you know, going and, and purchasing a cigar, enjoying it in a lounge. They show their identification. They do it. But you have to make it reasonable. Taxation uh, shouldn't be, uh, you know, something that is used as a mechanism to uh, prohibit behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing nowadays is the goalposts keep moving. These anti-tobacco groups are completely deranged in some sense. I'll, <laughs> I'll speak very candidly. Um, and that they are trying to get people to, you know, not purchase these product products outright through all different mechanisms, taxation being one of them. Now, what is there a conversation within your realm, you know, at least in New York, it's taxed way less, but like cannabis. So cannabis in New York is taxed like 13%. Right now, tobacco's 75, potentially 95. You know, what's the correlation or what's the thought process behind taxing something that's like, not, it's not really hindering cigars aren't hindering your your train of thought your decision making skills whereas cannabis can if you get behind a car you know you're smoking weed you're going to get a DUI if you're smoking a cigar the cop's going to say man your car smells like an ashtray so what's you know do you have a good thought process or is there a thought process behind that yeah it's a bit of a paradox i mean you have on one side people trying to you know get tobacco completely banned outright and then, you know, with cannabis, you see a lot of deregulation, like, you know, our association, we don't lobby on cannabis, but, you know, we, we look at some of the other products that are out there um, within the space. And uh, you're seeing some of the same elected officials aiming to lower taxes or legalize cannabis that are going after tobacco. Um, and, uh, you know, there will, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about California on this show, but, uh, there's been a couple different bills that have been introduced. And one of them was to create, uh, cafes, much like Amsterdam, where people can smoke cannabis recreationally, uh, in California. And yet they're trying to ban the indoor smoking of tobacco products. So, um, to me, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. If you ever have the chance to go to the Netherlands you can go to cafes and smoke weed and get all other kinds of, uh, you know, substances out Fun stuff. there. But there are, you are not allowed to smoke cigars indoors. I went to a couple of great lounges and shops and everybody was smoking cigars outside of the shop. Yeah. And it's like there's all these chairs. There's these, you know, beautiful espresso machines, you know, wide selection. I'm like, man, this is what a what a waste. I really feel for uh, the folks, uh, especially in Europe and New Zealand and Australia that are having to face these crazy restrictions. Still, we in the United States have it fairly, you know, we have it fairly good. Mm -hmm. There's some key exceptions there. And I think California and New York, unfortunately, are those exceptions for state level policy. That's bad. Uh, but if you look across the 50 states, there are still a lot of options for people to enjoy cigars with their friends, with their family, um, within, uh, you know, indoors. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen – I wasn't going back on, you know, where you were in Europe and different countries where they're smoking outside a lounge. I was in Toronto a few years ago. I was at uh, – what was it? La Casa del Habano? 
right? Is that are those the uh, in Toronto? Yeah, yeah, in Toronto, right? And beautiful, you know, beautiful yep. lounge, beautiful uh, bar, you know, not beautiful espresso machine, all stuff. I'm like, man, I can't wait to go in there and, and smoke a Cuban cigar. And then I just pull up, and all these guys are like, kind of like huddled around, and on the sidewalk, like the the chairs and the tables are on the sidewalk. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we can't smoke in there. And I was like, then what the frick is the point? And they're like. It's a freaking rules, man. You can't. You, we can't do anything. We have to hang out out here. We can't even enjoy being inside. I'm like, sucks. That doesn't make any sense. That makes zero sense. I know. It does. Like yeah. you can sell. It's like saying, oh, I can, I can sell you a, a, you know, I have a bar that I can make you a cocktail, but you can't drink the cocktail inside. Got to go over there. And you you got to go into this small little section and drink. Like, it's and now we we've been referencing you ever since we had you for the first time. What was that? Two years ago or so. You know where you talked about. Premium cigar sales overall for tobacco is half a percent. Yes. Is that still hold truth? I mean, is that is that what is that looking like? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's the import numbers have increased, but you know, in size of market share with all the other tobacco products, it's still very small, 0.02 percent. Um, you know, it, it's interesting how some markets are. are there's a, a little bit of a shift. You know, Europe is now gravitating towards more new world cigars that has been predominantly a cuban market some of the changes there um, you're seeing a lot of honduran dominican and nicaraguan cigars now go to europe Um, you know people have continued to enjoy cigars in the united states despite some of these uh you know erroneous regulations and pieces of legislation uh but you know we're we're trying to um, make sure that people understand the distinct distinctions between premium cigars and other products. And really, um, it's a bellwether when we're looking at some of the stuff internationally. Um, I think people thought we were crazy last year when we were making a big stink about New Zealand and Australia, saying, well, why, why, why is PCA worried about New Zealand and Australia? Like, worry about, you know, what's going on locally. Well, that policy is now it was introduced in in a a locality in Massachusetts. And now the state of California, there was an introduction for a a generational smoking ban. Um, Warning labels. We fought that here in the United States. Canada is going through another rendition of that. We've launched a campaign on CigarAction.org in Canada. Um, That's an area where they have been put through the ringer. Um, with with their government and Health Canada. Uh, we're trying to mobilize the retailers there. Um, it's weird because in the United States, they kind of call us these American cowboys because we want to come and fight everything. And um, we're trying to export that internationally where that American fighting spirit, uh, we're not going to let government dictate you know, as an adult, what I can and can't do within reason. And, um, you know, there's a, a sensible rules, sensible regulation, sensible ta- taxation. We're not against that. But um, what the anti-tobacco groups and, and the government, in some sense, they're moving the goalposts further and further, further and further. And we have to take a stand and when necessary. And we're doing that in Canada. We're doing that in the United States and, and elsewhere. Are you finding it hard to find other counterparts that have the same views as as you know the PCA does with tobacco? Is it like very limited resources? Like how do you guys get a pow out together to fight you know fight the power? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some other coordinate associations. I think that also um, you know in Europe and some other uh, countries like New Zealand and Australia, they've 
you know, almost squeezed out all of the tobacco industry in some sense, one one way, shape or form. And now they're starting, if you look in the European Union, they're starting to look at caffeine and alcohol and other um, things that people enjoy. And, uh, you know, there's a member of Congress that was on one of the uh, mainstream uh, news outlets saying that, you know, the worst thing that government can do is tell an adult that they can't have fun. And um, that's kind of what they're doing. In, 100%. In some so, you know, it, it isn't crazy now to think that, you know, your coffee uh, or your uh, energy drink or um, your your bourbon might have further restrictions uh, with it, certainly within our lifetime or in the next 10 years. So I think people coming to that realization, even if you're not a cigar smoker or you're not pro tobacco uh, or pro smoking, you, you kind of take a step back and you're like, well, you know what, if they can do that to something that uh, these folks enjoy, that they're making a concerted adult decision, what are they going to next? Yeah, I mean, you think about some of the areas like over in, in uh, Oregon or in California, or even in New York, they were talking about making these safe houses for people to do hard drugs. And I go, I, I, I said, I, how does that even make, for instance, you know, uh, cigar smoking or uh, caffeine or coffee or even like alcohol again in moderation like it's that's not harming to you right obviously if you're an alcoholic and you drink like in excess right it's gonna be harmful to you but drugs like doing more or, or methamphetamines and cocaine heroin. And, and heroin that's not like even if you did that in moderation, that's still harmful to you, right? Oh, so yeah. you're gonna and these are hard drugs. You're gonna legalize these. And you're gonna make safe houses. Like I don't understand the thought process. So one of the questions I was gonna say is, what? Why are these governing bodies going after such a small uh, market, right? So I can understand. Let's let's say you're trying to go for money. You want to make more money as this, you know, the FDA or the governing body. Why are you gonna raise a tax? on a market that makes up 0.2% of all tobacco sales. We did the numbers on a previous episode. You're going if you raise the tax on cigarettes like half of a percent, you would make 10 times the amount of money on that one tax than you would by raising the cigar tax 20%. So I can't under I can't see all right, it's definitely it can't be a financial thing. It can't be a health risk because if you look at all these studies that are coming out about cigars that cigars have nil effect on your health in the long run. It can't be like, all right, we're trying to reduce the number of, let's say, DWI cases, right? Because you can't get arrested yeah. for uh, cigars don't do anything mentally. So what's the reasoning that they're going after the cigar industry so hard? So with the anti-tobacco groups and most lobbying, there's negotiation. You don't get 100% what you want. You kind of negotiate and you work with the opposition groups. You work with the elected officials. When it comes to tobacco policy, there is no room for negotiation. They don't want that. You know, it's very clear that their goal is to uh, remove the existence of tobacco. You know, no, no full stop, nothing else, uh, no caveats to that. And no, they're not thinking about premium cigars. They are thinking about cigarettes. They are thinking about vapor products, other things that are out there that get much more attention that have a larger market share. We're an afterthought that gets swept up. The anti-tobacco groups conflate the data about um, non-premium cigars. Uh, they conflate the data with cigarettes, and we get swept up. We don't have the resources to fight 
at the level that they're coming out. We did we did a uh, piece at PCA. It's on our blog about what we're up against. So on one hand, you have uh, you know Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg. His he just committed four hundred twenty million dollars over the next four years uh, to go after tobacco. Uh, um, on the other side, Philip Morris, a cigarette you know, conglomerate, other companies within uh, the tobacco and non-tobacco uh, sphere, has said that they want to be uh, the smoke-free future. <laughs> so we're getting attacked on both ends because we are combustible pro- product um, and that it's a tobacco product. So the, the level of uh, and the amount of money that these anti-groups are pouring into it, everyone was like big tobacco, big tobacco. And unfortunately, we have been cast under that net. And that's a lot of my time is spent educating folks, letting you know people know that this is a mom and pop cigar shop that has six employees. This is not a multinational corporation that you know, is making millions and billions of dollars. This is, you know, in all reality, 20 or 30 people depend on this lounge as, uh, you know, their, um, you know, their area where they can go and relax at the end of the day after a hard day's work Um, and where people from all walks of life can come together and and break bread, have tough conversations, talk about politics and religion and things that you wouldn't normally talk about because cigars, to me at least, are, are relaxing. And, and um, so that's what we're fighting for. And I think I said it on the, the last show that I was on with you guys, you know, I'm a first, I love premium cigars and I'm fighting for my ability to continue to enjoy my passion and my hobby um, so that, you know, people, when they turn 21, they can make the decision similar to I did and, and you all did and said, all right, we want to enjoy cigars together. Yeah. And it's like you said, where you're hind- you're trying to prevent an adult from one making a decision on their own to whether or not they would like to indulge in this activity, right? And they're adults. Let them make the decision, right? If it's – if they – regardless if it's at a risk to you, right? Like cigarettes right now. Cigarettes are a very harmful risk to your health. But if you're an adult and you understand the risks and you would like to indulge in that, then by all means, indulge in that. But cigars, they're – we've done – Plenty of research on cigars, and they don't like if you're an average cigar smoker, average, right? People are not most average cigar smokers are not like us that are smoking one cigar a day on average. They're probably smoking, you know, maybe a couple of times a month, maybe. That has nil effect on your health in the long term. Yeah, Nobody always, dies from cigars in the long term. I I, could, I always refer people from an article from the FDA, right? I think it came out in like 2015 or so, but it, it, they came out where it said one to two cigars a day are nil to your health. And I just feel like that's that came out, what, almost 10 years ago? Why? Isn't it, like, and I know there's an article that came out just recently where um, I'm not sure what organization was for tobacco, but they said to the government was basically, like you were saying, kind of inflating the numbers regarding cigars, and these numbers aren't actually um, accurate. I think it was a court that actually ruled it, saying that, yep. listen, yep. you uh, you kind of inflated these numbers, and it's obviously not accurate. Clearly from this data, you didn't do enough research. Go back and actually do the data. Yep, and that – well, it was – Part of the uh, NASIM study, the National Academy of Sciences, uh, they released a report and they said, you know, you got to make sure that there's segmentation. You need to clearly define what a premium cigar is. Um, And then also our third lawsuit 
against the Food and Drug Administration. You know, we're 3-0 and in the courts um, against the FDA uh, because not only the, the, the government and, and the FDA and, and a lot of uh, politicians uh, here in Congress will conflate using the, the information provided by um, organizations like the American Cancer Society and the Heart Association and, and the like um, that, you know, they do not want tobacco to exist any longer. That's in their, you know, their mission statement. And that's what we're up against. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenging atmosphere. The one thing I will say on kind of the positive note, you know, we're, we're already two months into uh, 2023, and there has been more positive legislation introduced at the state level than negative uh, legislation. Even though there's been some high-profile um, negative things like New York, like California, um, there are a lot of cigar bar bills being introduced. There are a lot of tax caps introduced that will you know, provide people more affordable options for purchasing premium cigars. Um, and... Um, those arguments are take, starting to take shape. Uh, our team, uh, you know, Glenn Loop at the, the state level is doing a lot of work. We sift through upwards of 10,000 pieces of legislation at the state level every year um, to make sure that, you know, bad stuff's not going through, uh, but also we're, we're fighting for good things. We want to see these businesses uh, continue to not only survive, but, you know, thrive, to have employees, to having small businesses. This is is a good thing. And I think that that narrative, people were always afraid to say this and um, and shy away from it because, you know, tobacco and, and smoke, you know, these are Main Street mom and pop businesses. When they close, the tough thing is who's going to replace those businesses. So um, that's who we're fighting for. We're fighting for the employees. We're fighting for the small businesses and we're fighting for consumers like you and I. Now, there's a lot of positives and a lot of negatives. You know, what are some of the things that you like about the position you're in, you know, that you look forward to every single day? Like you wake up and you're like, all right, I can't wait to bash some government skulls to show them what the real <laughs> tobacco is. <laughs> I, I, I love my job. I have my, my dream job. Um, you know, I've been lobbying now for over a decade. Um, and it's I've worked lobbying for motorcycles, banks, uh, you name it. And um, this is something that I'm really passionate about. I've seen, you know, the positive side. Uh, I just got back from Pro Cigar in the Dominican Republic and got to see the Cigar Family Foundation, something that Carlito Fuente and uh, the Newman's, J.C. Newman Company, have put together, you know, a school, a clinic, a uh, amphitheater built for, you know, by the cigar industry. And, um, you know, the, it was very humbling to see the, the development that has taken place in the DR. Uh, in, I've been in Nicaragua, hopefully going later this year to Honduras. In the cigar producing countries, you know, we see it continually day in and day out. I get to meet with retailers, their staff, their employees, sales reps, manufacturers in the United States. And, you know, th that's certainly the, the core bread and butter of who we're fighting for. Uh, but, you know, I, I get emotional about, you know, when I'm in, in the cigar producing countries and seeing that, that, you know, literally nothing was there or, you know, there was violence and chaos and not an ac access to water or roads. And then, you know, a couple of years later, what they've done in Banao in the Dominican Republic, and I encourage anybody um, that is, who is visiting the DR or, 
uh, to see the Cigar Family Foundation. Um, that, to me, if you're a politician that sees something like that, or even you know a lot of the charitable events that the cigar industry uh, has supported over the years, millions and millions of dollars from scholarships to health programs to you name it, um, to me, that is the most rewarding part of the job is fighting for things like that. The things that aren't necessarily front and center that we're trying to make sure uh, people realize. Um, and uh, the story, the, one of the speakers when I was there at the Cigar Family Foundation was somebody that went through, through the schooling and was now one of the lead doctors at the medical clinic. Wow. So, you know, got to see full circle where the quality of life has improved for this person and his family exponentially just from cigar companies starting a starting a factory and developing some kind of culture and small world there see that's a that's like a that's a good point is that you know for, for the united states is so i feel like we're always looking you know we're always trying to help like other you know other countries right like this thing with ukraine like they're always trying to help other countries and i have nothing no problem with helping other people like you should help people if you're in a position a position to do so granted you know you're not completely destroyed yourself right if you're if you can't help yourself then you probably you should help, help yourself others. first and then help help others right <laughs> um but what i'm getting at is these countries like nicaragua and dominican republic and honduras and ecuador cigars are a huge lifeblood. huge lifeblood in that country right the amount of cigars that are exported in or exported from those countries into the united states are in the hundreds of millions so if you're gonna try to ban cigars across the board in the united states you are gonna completely destroy like five or six south american countries yep gonna start you're, looking you're- like uh what is it what is, what's the uh, what's the company that's going under right now in South America? Uh, is it Colombia? I don't know. No, the one one company. I mean, one one part of uh, South America just completely like they took some kind of new political view, and now it's just flipped upside down. Like I think I thought it was Colombia. Maybe it's not. It, I mean, it's crazy. You're, you're you're spot on. Like the effects of what we do in the United States has a ripple effect, whether it's immigration, national security, um, you know, jobs, commerce. Um, you know, last year when they introduced the crazy federal tax that we fought against uh, successfully, you know, they would have cost 100,000 jobs and $400 million to the Dominican Republic alone if that would have passed. 100,000 jobs in the DR. So so just think about all those families. Let's yeah. say, right, you know, right. Times four, 400,000 people, you know, they, it would have been detrimental. And like, I, I think that that's something that we... Um, you know, definitely need to not take for granted and make sure that politicians here in the United States un- understand. But I mean, it's rewarding. I get to enjoy a, a lot of cigars uh, in in this role and uh, just meet people. Uh, we we at our office we're blocks from the U.S. Capitol. We've been this week. We've had four or five different manufacturers, four or five retailers stopping by. There's always something going on. Um, you know, the association, COVID and all of that was was tough. Cancellation of the trade show. We're back now better than ever. We just made a recent hire. We're about to make another hire uh, later in March. And it's an exciting time to be at, at PCA. Uh, it's an exciting time to be uh, on the government affairs side, too, 
On the positive side of things, the Congressional Cigar Caucus is strong. It's bipartisan now, uh, almost at 50 members of Congress. And uh, a lot of folks are smoking cigars in their personal offices on the Capitol. Um, and it, it's a good sight to see. I think there's three or four members of Congress that even have their own personal cigars. Um, and um, it's always fun when you get to go over and have a you know serious meeting but you get to do it over a cigar. Yeah. That, that happened yesterday for us. And like I get excited anytime. Hey, you want to have a cigar? You want to do it at our office or, or, or your office? Um, so it, it makes the job not feel like a job. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, the the atmosphere or the ambiance. Because I always say, like, cigar lounges are a place where any person, any guy or gal, creed, occupation, you can always talk to them have a good conversation no matter what you're doing. And it's such a encouraging environment and a calm environment where you can almost have like political debates. So they don't have to be so hostile. So I can only imagine meetings with different viewpoints and different opinions. Once you light up a cigar, you're already connecting with the person who might be your opposition, but now you can have a more level-headed conversation. It might be, you might hesitate to get a little more defensive or start arguing with the guy with a cigar in your hand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a that's a that's a great idea. So so we had talked about there is like you said there's four hundred thousand people that were in uh, what was it uh, Honduras or Nicaragua, uh, Dominican Republic. Oh, I'm sorry, Dominican 100, Republic. Yeah. Hundred thousand you know families that you said. How many people would be affected in the United States if the cigar industry were to go? Like how many how many people does the cigar industry employ in the United States alone? So we have about uh, thirty five hundred small business is um, about 30 to 40,000 retail employees. Um, you know, on the manufacturing side, you might want to say 10, 15,000 when you include all the sales forces. So, you know, about 75,000 to 100,000 people domestically in the United States. Um, but, you know, there's there's a the immediate effect and also the ripple effect. Think about shipping and packaging. Yeah, and, yes. Uh, box production. All of that, uh, it's hard to quantify, but, you know, there were 500 million uh, cigars imported to the United States last year. So, you know, despite it being 0.02 percent of, uh, you know, the overall tobacco market, it's significant. There are a lot of people that, that depend on it. And, you know, the cultural aspect, too. The other great thing about visiting the Dominican Republic is that they celebrate premium cigars. It's part of their national cultural heritage product that their Congress has formally had the equivalence of our Washington Monument. They had one of the parties in Santiago. Um, and uh, last year, the vice president was there. Uh, the uh, minister of industry and commerce was there this year. Like there, it, it really is a cultural, social as well as an economic um, symbol of importance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can imagine it being like uh, a, a national crop, if you will. Like, for instance, you know, you know, got Idaho potatoes are a state crop. You go to like, uh, what is it, Indiana? It's corn, right? Cheese in Wisconsin. Right? But, but it, it's a it's a major major crop that is in all of these countries yeah. in South America countries. It, it kind of reminds me of you know going back to what you were saying. Like, if they stop. Dominican cigars from coming to the United States, you know, about 100,000 people are going to lose their job. That's 
you know, quantify that maybe 200, 300,000 people with their families, right? Kind of reminds me of like Detroit, you know, taking the car business out of Detroit and like what happened to it. All the industrial Mm -hmm. revolution kind of just crumbled down. Now you go to Detroit. Detroit was like the hot city to live in, to work in. And now you look at Detroit and it's a, it's a troubled city right now. So I would imagine to have the same effects short term and long term now down to DR. And you think about in the United States too the the tourism, you know, whatever I'm traveling, even if it's personally, I'm looking for whatever the, the local restaurant or pizza shop, but I'm also looking for the local cigar lounge. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go and, and support the brick and mortar. Um, and you're seeing like cities like Phoenix and Nashville and Atlanta really develop a unique cigar culture where there's options where you can go to 30 or 40 different lounges in those cities and no lounge is is the same you can go go in walk in not know anyone strike up a conversation and um you know really dive into it meet lifelong friends so you know that's the other beauty of the cigar industry and i'm, I'm sure you guys you know doing uh the the burn down podcast you you've met people and you think that it's going to be a half hour or an hour conversation that you're in constant communication with. Hey, you know, we're, oh, we're interested in sports. And you just find little, uh, you know, little facts that unite one another. The overall overarching thing is that you both enjoy cigars. 100%. But that's what leads into it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, for if it wasn't for cigars, like I've met some – I've met people that I would never have thought – that I would have met or we've, you know, we've met people on the podcast. We've had people on the podcast that if you would have said, you know, five years ago, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to have a conversation with this guy. I would have been like, no, never going to happen. But because of cigars, we've had conversations with so many people. Like, for instance, Ed Reed, Hall of Famer, NFL. If you would have told me five years ago, hey, you know, Ed Reed is going to be a fan of yours and you're going to have a cigar with him. I'd be like, no, not no chance. Or you're going to have a you're going to sit down, and have a conversation with him. No chance. 100%. But we had them on our podcast, right? We've had so many people on the show. I've met so many incredible people all because of a cigar. And imagine they get taken away. We can't say we're bringing people together over cigars anymore. We're going to be like, we're bringing people together over the ourselves. And, and what, I don't, what I don't understand, too, is like it's it's – and this is going – this is kind of backing marijuana is one of the things that – the marijuana or the cannabis uh, community always says is, oh, it's just a plant, right? Well, premium cigars are just a plant. Yep. It's just tobacco, right? And they rope us in with cigarettes, which are less than 5% tobacco. Cigarettes, if, if anything, it's the least, the, the furthest from tobacco. a tobacco product because there's there, it's there's no tobacco in there. There's virtually no tobacco in there. But they rope us in. They say, yeah, cigars and cigarettes are the same thing. And go, they couldn't be farther from the same thing. No doubt. It's amazing. Like, you know, I look at all the, you know, sports and you see what do people do when they win a championship? They smoke smoke cigars. No like doubt. It's, it's kind of the, the – vic- you have the victory celebration and, um, you know, certainly the, you know, Ed Reed and other, other guests that you've had on. Um, it's a, a culmination, a celebration of – um, you know, success in, in their particular field. And a lot of people have, uh, you know, gravitated towards enjoying cigars as a result of that. You know, there's no better way to, you know, celebrate even the small successes the day in and day out mm-hmm. 
over a cigar. And it like to me, it um, you know, it's it's the great equalizer. You have people from all different walks of life, uh, you know, go to a lounge, construction workers, doctors, lawyers, uh, you know, pizza delivery folks, lobbyists, you know, you name it. And um, I learn something from every single one of those conversations with any of the folks there might not always agree. Uh, but I, I, I think that we are very fortunate, uh, all of us to, you know, have a, a play a small role in the, the cigar industry at large. Exactly. Like, uh, what you were saying, you may not, dis, you may not agree with everything they say, because there's been plenty of times where I'm just in a, I'm at an office or if I'm at a, a party and there's no cigars going on, right? And I meet new people in networking events or whatever. And I'll start talking to people and they start saying some things. I'm like, okay, I'm not listening to this guy. I don't want to listen to him. I want to get away from him. But when I'm in cigar lounges, if I'm at a, if I'm at somewhere where I'm smoking cigars and we're all smoking cigars and he starts talking something that I don't necessarily agree with or I don't like, I'm more inclined to just like sit back and listen to him and try to maybe strike up a further conversation with him just because of a cigar. If you don't, if you don't, have, if I don't have a cigar in my hand, I don't want to listen to you. Basically, it's what it comes down to. Well, you kind of take a step <laughs> back and you say, well, I, it's not that you have an automatic connection, right? You both enjoy cigars, so you may not. Dis- you may disagree on this one thing, but you you both agree on cigars, yeah. and you okay. Well, you, it, like your point is, you you are more inclined in a cigar lounge when you both share the love of cigars. You're more inclined to listen to what they have yeah. to, have to say. Because um, well, one, you're also you, you can't get out because you're there for at least forty five <laughs> minutes with a cigar, so you got to listen to some, somebody. But again, it, it's also that that point where maybe it's it's something where you necessarily don't agree or you might not agree up front but it gives you a little more of a chance to listen to them and listen yeah. to their ideas and their thoughts and maybe like you know what i had my opinions about him but after talking to him for a half hour he's not such a bad guy so josh you said so you've said that you've you've had the chance in this position to smoke cigars with so many incredible people what are some of the top three like on your mind that have come that was some of the best conversations or some of like you know maybe it was a celebrity or somebody you never thought that you were going to sit down and have a cigar with. Then I'll follow up with the top three politicians that you smoke there a cigar you. with. <laughs> oh, my gosh. These are, these are tough questions. Well, I, I think the, the top moment for me when I, I – it was early on starting uh, at, at PCA, IPCPR at the time. Um, I got to ha- – we had a meeting with um, an ambassador, uh, somebody from a Senate office, a Secret Service agent, and it was myself and Rocky Patel, George Padron, and Alan Rubin uh, from from Alec Bradley. And uh, to me, that was kind of a rite of passage. I had, you know, been a cigar enthusiast at the time. Eighteen was the legal age of purchase. Um, and um, ever since college, we had the Winston Churchill Society on Fridays. We'd smoke cigars, talk politics. So to me, politics and history were synonymous with cigars. And um, so I had read Cigar Aficionado. Um, I, you know, was an enthusiast and, um, you know, I had done conference calls and had done, um, you know, different work, emailing back and forth and, and phone calls with those folks. Uh, but to be there kind of as somebody that was serving a purpose, but at the table with the folks that I really had looked up to, mm-hmm. it was, it, you know, in the cigar industry as a cigar nerd. They were people that I still, you know, look up to. I, I was starstruck, you know, kind of beforehand, but then sitting at that table and 
just realizing that these folks are, are just like you and I. Um, they want to sit back and have a, a rum or a scotch and a cigar. And um, it, it was a rite of passage for me where, all right, I no longer starstruck. And, and Alan Rubin um, to this day has, has been a, a mentor of mine. I'm, I'm close friends with both Alec and Bradley and um, you know, that company in particular and enjoying a cigar with Alan at any point, we just had our, our board meeting in February in Naples, Florida at Rocky's office. And um, I, you know, sitting with Nish and Nimish and, and Alan uh, and some of our Greg Zimmerman, our, our board president, um, you kind of just let it all sink in. And you're like, you know what? I never would have imagined a decade ago to be a lobbying, uh, but to B, be lobbying for something that I'm extremely passionate about. And then also having the ability to work with and work for uh, such um, interesting, creative and innovative people. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a round roundabout yeah. way of answering the, the question. Uh, politicians, you know, we have uh, there's a cadre of folks that love cigars that will have three or four a day. Uh, Congressman Troy Nels out of Texas, uh, Congressman uh, Rushenthaler out of Pennsylvania, um, the newly elected Representative Moylan from Guam. Um, it, it's really cool to have a cigar with any politician, especially doing it at the U.S. Capitol um, in, in one of their offices. Uh, it, it's, it's always a special moment. Uh, we've also had the ability to really start, and, and it's been a concerted effort by PCA to look outward, outside of the United States, and um, having cigars with some of the embassy staff of, of Honduras and uh, the Dominican Republic, uh, having cigars in country, um, that that's really cool. Um, you know, and then we got, my colleague and I had a, a uh, got a call from another one of our, our staff that uh, said Carlito Fuente was in town and that he wanted to have uh, a cigar and drop by the office. And uh, there were two of us with Carlito for three hours, you know, drinking Dominican rum and um, just having rare cigars. And, you know, Carlito's such a, you know, passionate person, his personality. Um, and it's energizing any time that you get to spend time with these folks and whenever you're like, oh, man, the government's coming down, it's 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 a tough job. I got weight on my shoulders to, to make sure that we're able to do this. Whenever you meet with these folks and, and anyone from the retail employee to a big personality like a Rocky or a Fuente or a, a Padron, um, it's special. Um, I, I think one of my coolest experience smoking cigars, I went to the uh, Miami Grand Prix last year and George Padron had a cigar lounge right on the track and getting to smoke a Padron at the F1 race with George Padron. I don't, you know, I'm a huge Padron cigar fan. Um, so that, that was really cool. Too. I mean, you can't beat really that Yeah, yeah. race car driving on the track with George Padron smoking Padrones. I mean, I mean, it'll I'm get much better day. than that, man. I'm in all day so for that. Who would, if you, Who's somebody that you haven't smoked with yet, but is like if you could pick anybody, dead or alive, right? Let's let's do both. If you could pick anybody alive right now, who would you who would it be and why? And then if you could pick anybody in history to smoke with, who would it be and why? 
I think na- nowadays, uh, alive, I think it would be cool to have kind of a mix of some of the uh, politicians or political figures from different sides of the aisle. So, like, I would put in, like, a, you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger on kind of the Republican, moderate, conservative side, and, and then, like, an Al Sharpton, who's on, you know, more on the progressive side. I know both of them, uh, are, you know, go to the Grand Havana room and enjoy <laughs> cigars. So kind of just seeing the the two sides come together, um, how that would be. Um, definitely somebody, and you probably get the answer a lot, but Winston Churchill is obviously everyone's stock answer, um, you know, a political figure. But I, w- I would say George Patton um, uh, or Le- Ulysses S. Grant. Wow. Um, for, for somebody that has history right. buff. Um, yeah. So unique, unique yeah. answers. Yeah. And who's, I don't even know who George so Patton Ulysses is. Who's George Grant, Patton? A general during World War II, famous tank commander. Um, wow. it, it, there's an incredible movie, Patton. Watch it. Uh, it's like three and a half hours long. But you you will thank me if you have if you watch that movie. It's All one right. of my top ten movies. Um, but uh, you know it, it those those folks and Grant, not to get too history nerd and and political nerd on you, but the term lobbying actually originated from uh, the Willard Hotel during Grant's presidency. He would sit in a chair in the lobby of the Willard Hotel, smoke cigars and drink brandy and meet with people. That that were asking for things of the government. Like the Godfather. So, ah, like the Godfather. Go. Walking in. Okay. So, <laughs> one, I, you guys know I do some small batch projects. That's that's my next small batch project. I'll give you a little teaser. Uh, in July, uh, we're going to be releasing an apple brandy paired with a cigar in honor of Ulysses S. Grant and, and lobbying in general. Oh, do you, have, do you know what the cigar is going to be called? Are you going to name it after... Uh... Ulysses, I, I, called the Ulysses. Set on it yet. We have like two different things. Um, I had a meeting about it yesterday evening, and uh, you know we're we're trying to perfect it and, and see where it goes. So I, I don't have a, a set thing, uh, but we're trying to do an event at the Willard Ho- Hotel, which is still in existence today, or somewhere nearby. The White House Historical Association has an outdoor area where a lot of people smoke cigars in their gift shop sells cigars um this white house historical association edition by the same person liberty cigar company who's going to produce the grant cigar so we're kind of tweaking things i will certainly uh extend an invite for that uh event for you guys oh that'd be great that'd be great you could take you could take a a page out of ashton's book and call it the usg instead of the uh, esg you know (laughs) ulysses grant (laughs) Yeah, we'd be honored to, to to come down to that. That'd be that'd be incredible. Now let me let me ask you this: going to the Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, Honduras, you know, kind of like these third world countries. You know how how is it going down there? You know, because I mean, we've been invited a few times to Nicaragua or or the Dominican Republic, and we haven't been really able to get an opportunity there. But anytime you tell people, oh yeah, we might be going to Nicaragua, we might be going to uh, Dominican Republic, they're like, oh, don't go there, don't go there, it's terrible. You're you're you you'll still got like a sore thumb. You know, what what would you say to the people that kind of like negative towards those kind of countries going down there? I I think that it's kind of an American a misconception. I was hesitant at first. Um, but, you know, having gone to Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic were fantastic. They were incredible, life-changing experiences. 
I felt safe the entire time. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's weird. I've, I've been to Europe, uh, you know, a bunch of times and, uh, yeah, sometimes I feel more and living in Washington DC too. Uh, and you guys can probably relate, uh, you know, in New York, I felt, I felt safer in, in the DR and Nicaragua than some parts of the U S and, and Europe in, in general, you know, there, we, we take some luxuries for granted, you know, hot water and, 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 and drinking water. There's little things here and there, absolutely. Uh, but you know, for the most part, yeah, people are incredibly friendly. They're incredibly grateful that you're there, that you're taking an interest in their country, what their country has to offer. Um, and you're out there. You know, I tell them what I do, and they view me as somebody that's trying to to protect their livelihood. Uh, so it, it really, if you have the opportunity to go to see a factory you will have a whole new perspective on the cigar industry. And when you go to the humidor and you select your cigar or you, you know, you sit down in that lounge chair and you're talking about it, you will have a, an added depth of knowledge and also understand the totality of what's at stake. Yeah. I think the, the first place on our list is Dominican Republic, obviously, because our cigars made from Dominican Republic or made in Dominican Republic. Definitely want to go there. Um, but yeah, it's nice to hear that because obviously we've heard some negative things, uh, more specifically about Nicaragua and not so much Dominican Republic, but it's nice to hear that, you know, from somebody that has been there and has felt safe. And I think it would be a bucket list to go to, I would say the five, you know, different countries, right? There's what Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Honduras, Ecuador, uh, I mean, Mexico, I've been to already, but to go to a farm, a tobacco farm in yeah. those regions would be, and then obviously Cuba. But I just want to take a selfie in a tobacco plant. That's all I want to do. I yeah. want to take a nice selfie with a cigar in my mouth with a nice tobacco plant field behind me. That's all I want to do. I'm a simple guy. But in, in, in doing that, you know, Pro Cigar, that, that's the event that I just, uh, you know, got back from. That is a, a great experience of both learning and, and socializing and partying and all of the above. I can imagine. Um, you know, the factories and fields – uh, but here in the United States, you know, the J.C. Newman factory uh, in Tampa, uh, Drew Estate also does their barn smokers. Mm-hmm. I went to Connecticut. Yep. Um, so if you're looking to see tobacco fields and have that experience, I think you know the greatest thing is is having dinner or a meal over cigars in one of those fields. Oh, like there's no, it's picturesque. Um, and, and it's just, you, you're like, man, I feel good. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, the closest I ever got was I was doing like one of those, um, like rugged maniac type of challenges where you're like an obstacle course running through mud, going all that crazy stuff. I think I did it in uh, Massachusetts and I was driving back from Massachusetts, going through Connecticut and, uh, some like one of my cousins or someone was like, Hey, look, Eric, there's a barn with, uh, like tobacco leaves. And I was like, we're driving by. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I was like stop right now turn around and everyone's like you can't go on there i'm like there's no one here and if someone's gonna stop me out so be it but i walked in and it was just a in connecticut just a giant barn with just leaves just marinating all over the place and i was like this is heaven right here baby this is fucking awesome (laughs) the closest i ever got love it so well uh we want to end on a good note right so a positive note so you know, moving forward in the cigar industry and in the, in the tobacco industry, you know, what are some of the, the positives and the, the good outcomes that you see, you know, in the next five to 10 years for cigars? 
I think, well, demand is one of them. Uh, there's a lot of people that are, you know, enjoying cigars on a, you know, a, a limited basis. A lot of uh, folks that, you know, are, they're understanding what we all know that it's much like a, a fine bourbon or a fine wine. Uh, it's recreational, it's occasional. Um, and um, so I, I think that that is, is going to continue. Uh, you know, 2023 numbers are, are strong so far. Um, I think that that is a, a positive sign. I think it's a, a positive sign, the victories that we've had in the courts uh, that we're pushing back with uh, the Food and Drug Administration, uh, with Congress, with the White House, um, educating folks. So we're utilizing our townhouse here. Uh, right now, <laughs> our past few events, were, we've been at overcapacity. I have had members of Congress waiting in line trying to come to a PCA event to you know, experience cigars. Um, so I think that there's a, an interest level there. There's an interest level in educating and becoming more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. People don't want to just be, you know, mo most people that are, are really into cigars are not like, just give me a cigar. They want to know the origins, the leafs, the varietals, the, you know, the nuts and bolts behind the cigar itself. So having an educated consumer base um, also means that the consumers are more likely to get involved in advocacy and in fighting for their rights to enjoy not only a hobby, but a, a passion um, that they savor cigars. They don't smoke cigars. And um, so those are, are some positive uh, indicators. We need to ensure, though, that the United States and, and our associations and our partner associations recognize our global importance in the, to the cigar industry, that we are stewards of the premium cigar industry for uh, the future, that we can continue this craft um, and, and allow the manufacturers that are the, the true artists uh, to can continue to do that. With, with that comes responsibility uh, as well. Um, you know, I, I think what you guys did in the, the, the box and the packaging and the, the name, you, you know, the blueprint, that's what we want to see. Innovation, uh, folks that are, um, you know, n newer, we're, I would say that we're all newer yeah, to, to the cigar definitely. industry. We haven't done it for, you know, 20, 30 years, like some of the, the greats that have, have been doing it for a while. Uh, but we, we have to recognize the challenging predicament that we're in, that, uh, you know, government anti-tobacco groups are coming at us uh, and be cognizant that we don't want to create things that could be taken in the wrong context. You know, no one's out there marketing uh, specifically towards kids. That's not something that the cigar industry is about. Uh, but, you know, some of the controversial things that PCA has done in the, the past two years, um, you know, involving marketing, you know, our, our kind of code and letting people know um, it's not about stifling creativity. That's the absolute opposite of what we want to do and what we're we're known for. Uh, but we want to make sure that the cigar industry can continue um, and that government's not going to come and, and shut it down. And that with that comes responsibility. It, but uh, you have also have um, 
an obligation to be involved and to be active in, in fighting it. And that's why I appreciate the opportunity to be on shows like this and, and you all and the media platform uh, to leverage our voices so that more and more people can understand what's at stake and what we have to do to continue forward. Josh, spoken like a true gentleman and a scholar. Appreciate that, man. And, you know, sound like a true politician. So you got that, you got that politician <laughs> voice and that explanation most definitely down pat. We appreciate you uh, you're coming on, brother. Thank you so much for your time and, uh, you know, enlightening us some more. Some positive. Yeah, hope, some positive hopefully news. we'll get to see you guys uh, in, in Vegas in, in July at the trade show. You obviously are invited uh, as well as uh, this special event in July once we have details on that. But trade show July 7th through the 11th. We love having uh, media come and I'll tell you, it's the family reunion of, of premium cigars. Get to try some stuff that won't be on the market for eight, nine months. Uh, it's a blast. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate the invite. We appreciate you coming on. Um, your what The website is what? Cigaraction.org. Is that it? Yep. Cigaraction.org and premiumcigars.org. Those are our two websites. Cigar Action is the advocacy platform. Premium Cigars is the main uh, uh, association website. And you're, and you're a wolf on K Street on Instagram, right? <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> and we learned what K Street was last time. I love it. Well, Josh, thank you again for joining us here uh, on The Burndown. We look forward to uh, continuing our conversation, to meeting you eventually in person, hopefully in July. Uh, we wish you all the best. And thank you again for um, pushing and for lobbying for this beautiful industry and this beautiful community that we are a part of. Absolutely. Thanks again, Joss. All right. Here's to you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salud, brother. Thank you, man. <laughs>